Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church. If you're new with us, uh, we are uh, people who don't claim to have all the answers, but we know the one who does. Um, we are a people who have, are broken and in need of a Savior and have found that Savior, and He is making our lives new. Um, and we are gathering here together on the third Sunday of Advent um, to focus in on this wonderful Savior who was given. Um, we, uh, we've been going through a series, uh, taking a pause for just four Sundays uh, to look at simple but profound truths, uh, to remind ourselves of the beauty of what was given to us uh, in the sun. Um, and we've been doing that looking through the book of Luke. Um, so if you are here with us, I just want to remind you, because I know that a lot of the things I say does not stick with you past the week. Um, but we've been going through, we've been looking at God's, God's faithfulness and fulfilling his promise. Uh, God's power in fulfilling his promise. And this week we're going to be looking at his provision and fulfilling his promise. Right? We've, we started in the book of Luke and we're going to jump right back in. Um, and just to give us context again, right? God, God is acting and interacting with his people at a, at a perfect time in history. Uh, a time when uh, he had been silent for 400 years. And the last thing that he said to his people in the book of Malachi, you can read it yourself, it's right there, right before Matthew, the end of the Old Testament. He comes back and he declares a promise that this son who's going to be born of a priest and his wife who were barren, who were in old age, and this son was going to come and fulfill the call of turning the father's hearts back to their children, uh, to bring in wisdom to the unwise and the foolish. Uh, to be a forerunner, someone who is preparing the way of the Lord. And this amazing time where there's just all this turmoil, all this stress, all this strife, all this, these questions as to where is God in all of this. God has been working and, has, and is working and will continue to work to do what he says he will do. And as we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and the promise of John the Baptist, we saw that this, this faithful God was working just like he was in their life. And this child who was born to a barren woman uh, who hid herself for five months uh, and, a, and a husband who could not speak, uh, who was a representation of what was happening between God and Israel. But even though he could not speak and say anything of it, and even though the baby was hidden, it wouldn't mean the promise wasn't already being fulfilled and that God wasn't already at work. And then last week we looked and saw Mary, uh, this woman who is this, uh, this picture, this beautiful picture of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This woman who heard the, the call of this angel who came to her and told her of this amazing thing. Right? We, we go in this story, in the book of Luke, we go from, from these important, prominent people, so, a, a daughter of Aaron and a, and a priest who's, who's laying up incense for God's people, speaking on behalf of them, to a no-name woman in a no-name place, a humble person. And God went to and spoke to 
And this humble person responded in faith. Same, same thing happened between Zechariah. Same thing happened with Mary. This, Gabriel came, announced something was going to happen. Zechariah responded in doubt. Mary responded in faith. And we see in her this, this picture of what God does to a person when he gives his message. When he speaks to them and we can respond in faith, and then Jesus is born in us. Um, and uh, we're looking at this and we're seeing just the amazing power of God to rescue and save. The amazing power of God to work not only in the womb of a barren woman, um, but also in the womb of one who is a virgin. And that God is the author of life. And if God's going to, says he will do something, he has the power to do it because he's the one who spoke and everything came into being. He's the one who took dirt and he created fingernails. He created toes. He created eyes, nose, senses, taste, touch, feeling, spirit, breath. And then Mary, he, in a way that I, there's no way to comprehend. And if you think you can, you're lying to yourself. He took the eternal God and wrapped him in flesh, united him with humanity. And the one who is all-powerful became absolutely vulnerable. Uh, the one who is in need of nothing was growing inside his mother's womb and would be in need of everything so that he could live and die and be risen again for us and our salvation. This amazing, wonderful God who sees our brokenness, knows what we need, provides exactly what we need, and works in a timing that is absolutely perfect for each and every one of us. He's good. He's powerful. So today we're going to continue that story. We're going to look at God's provision. God's provision in fulfilling what he has promised for us. And um, I'm going to apologize now if we go long, but we're going to be covering a lot of scripture here, um, uh, way more than what I've been covering in Jude in uh, a few sermons. Um, and we're going to be looking at some, ma some main things. I want, to, I want to read it. I want you to hear it. I want you to see what's happening here. And I want you to see how God, through his Holy Spirit, is providing everything that we need in life. And that we can rest and rely on him to follow through and come through in the various areas and places that we find ourselves in. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, and I keep on forgetting to say this, but if you don't own a Bible, I know everyone could have one on this thing right here. Um, but if you want a physical copy, there's some right in front of you unless you're the brave few who sit in the front, um, they're, take it. They're, they're there. I mean, there's nothing sacred about a church pew Bible. If you need a Bible, it's yours. Take it. We'll find a hole and we'll replace it. Um, but look with me at, uh, at Luke uh, chapter 1. 
And we're going um, to start in verse 35, just to, to get back into the story, and then we're going to go through um, essentially uh, the end of the chapter. Um, the angel answered her, and he said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child, will be, um, the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary hears this thing. She responds, says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to me. And he says, Here's the sign. Your cousin, Elizabeth, who was barren, will bear a child. And right now, it's six months into her pregnancy. And this is the first time Mary's hearing about it. And so she says, Let it be done to me. And then what happens in the very next verse? Verse 39. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country in a town of Judea. Right? Mary responds immediately, showcasing her faith, not trying to earn it, but recognizing that she heard what the angel said and she believed it. And it wasn't like, hey, let me, let me mosey along down to Judea. I mean, she's going from Nazareth to somewhere in Judea we don't really know. Um, but it's quite a few miles to get there. I mean, it would take a week, a couple weeks in walking, and most people at this time, they walked. Uh, horses were a luxury, much like they are today. Um, and not a lot of people had them. So everyone walked where they went. Unless you had means and wealth to have a chariot. I mean, it, uh, just as a side note, Jesus never once rode an animal throughout all of his travels in, in the Gospels, except for when he was on that colt, that colt donkey, coming in in the um, uh, triumphal entry. Everywhere else, he's walking. It's a slow movement. It's a slow process. And, and Mary goes quickly. It's, I mean, the text is very clear. It says she made haste to get to Elizabeth. This is amazing. God did an amazing thing. He's doing an amazing thing in me. And my barren cousin, I know she's barren. I've been with her. I've cried with her. I know how hard it's been for her. I'm going to go see what God's doing. And she gets up and she goes. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And there's a lot going on there. We could spend a long time looking at this. But I want you to notice what happens when Mary comes here. She comes, the Holy Spirit, it says, fills Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit causes this baby inside Elizabeth to leap within her with joy 
and in so doing, producing joy in Elizabeth. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm not sure if it's on the same page or not, but you can look back in the beginning of Luke 4, I mean Luke 1, verse 14, where the prophecy of Gabriel to Zechariah about this child is that this child, he said, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And already in the sixth month of her pregnancy, she is experiencing joy. Which we could spend a long time looking at and talking about and thinking about what that would have meant for Elizabeth. In a room this size, I know there are some of you who have dealt with the sorrow of infertility. I know that is a deep Deep pain. And I would venture to get, I I can't speak on the traumatic experiences of someone's life, but in this day and age, not only was it something private, but it was something public. And not only was it something private and public, but it was a public shame. And people looked on Elizabeth as a woman who was rejected by God and under judgment, because she couldn't have kids. And God, through her life, knowing all of this, seeing all of this, providing exactly what she is needs, the Holy Spirit descends on her, and then he produces joy in her. And then out of that joy, she speaks and prophesies over Mary. And with that, the Lord himself is working out what he needs in, what these people need in the fulfilling of his promise to them. The Holy Spirit is producing what is necessary for the fulfillment of the promise. He will be joy. Holy Spirit comes upon her. There is joy. You see the correlation there? And then she says, blessed is she who believes that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken from her to the Lord. And then Mary says this, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The Holy Spirit comes, right, overshadows Mary, births in her the Son of God, The Holy Spirit comes, fills Elizabeth, 
proclaims blessing to Mary, speaks of her as the, the eight prototypical Christian. Right? A few chapters later, chapter 6 of Luke, Jesus starts his, Luke's version of the Beatitudes, which we spent a long time on. Um, but Luke's versions of the Beatitudes are, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And all these things are happening in Mary. All these things are being seen in her song. For he has filled the hungry. He's seen the poor. He's looked upon his servant. God is working. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of temptation in lives of believers to try to work out what they believe God is asking them to do in their own power. And there could have been opportunity for Mary or for Elizabeth to start speaking about how much they deserve what God has done in their life. But they didn't. They simply are seen as people who believe God and trust him. And then in believing God and trusting him, they're seeing him work in a miraculous way that is on his timetable, not theirs. And in seeing God and working in a miraculous way, the Holy Spirit is producing what he said he will produce, and that, that what he's producing is now creating joy and praise that is going back towards him. And Mary's doing this. Elizabeth is doing this. And we keep on going, we'll look and we'll see Zechariah does this. Because this is what happens throughout all Scripture. Christ came for this purpose. Right? And I'm going to make some connections. I don't know if many of you have made here, but we're going to go to another passage of Scripture and we're going to take some time looking through it because I think in a, in a very brief way, as, as brief as I possibly can, because I, I think it's very important for us to understand who does the work in our life. Who actually does the work in our life? You see, Jesus in John 6, 16, 70, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In a sense, Jesus' purpose on this earth was one, to fulfill God's will for him and for us. But not to stay, but to come and die and rise again so that the one who was supposed to come could come. The Holy Spirit could come. The Holy Spirit could come to his people like the Holy Spirit came to Mary, to Elizabeth. And the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, could come and comfort his people, empower his people, produce in his people the life of Jesus that points to the glory, the majesty, the dominion, the power, the mercy the forgiveness, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, 
the faithfulness of God. That's what he's doing. But for many of us, that's a hard thing to do. Because we read something like here. He has shown the strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud with the thoughts in their hearts. Right, this, is a, this is a whole statement here. We could spend a lot of time looking at what this, what's called an aorist. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that's in the past, speaking of a past event. And those things have different categories. But for Mary, this is a future aorist. This is a prophetic aorist. This is speaking of what's going to happen when Christ finishes his work. And we look at, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. It's easy for us to think of someone else instead of our own proudness in our hearts. It's easiest to picture the wealthy, the oppressors, all of this, these people out there and not come into and say, well, maybe there's a pride issue in me. And it's the breaking down of the pride issue in me that brings the blessing. It's the wrecking of my pride that allows me to be humble to receive, like Mary, this humble person, the gift of the Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. And again, it's going to be the work of the Spirit that we get out of here on time. But I'm, there's a lot of discussion here between what happens with Paul in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And I don't want to get into a lot of that. All I want you to get to as we read this, I want you to notice the first person singular pronoun. I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the first person singular pronoun. In a passage where he's wrestling with his inability to follow God's law. He says, what shall we say then? The law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what is the covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life to me, life proved to, to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and though it killed me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me that through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sin. Um, Become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do what I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I want, I do not want, I, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry out. 
For I do not do the good that I want, but the, uh, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I, f- I find it to be a law that when I do the right thing, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Do you notice how pervasive that is? I, 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 I. 30 times, first person singular. Another seven with my or mine or me. 37 times, focusing in on Paul himself. Me, 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 me. And it's a depressing, depressing statement. But then, Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be filled in us who not walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. Because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him 
who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the whole creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope is not that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he, and for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Listen, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep with words. And he who searches the heart and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be firstborn among the brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? It is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword, or my own stupid actions? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, and it is famous for a reason, because there is so much hope poured into what is said there. And if you look, right, the passage before, 37 times Paul is referring to himself. In this passage, 22 times alone, the Spirit is mentioned. 68 times it's reference to God or His Spirit. The focus is on God doing the work, God finishing the work, God doing what's necessary, God coming through, God saving, God keeping, God reconciling. And this is what the Spirit does. And there are many of us who go through our Christian life coming to the reality and just the beauty of, of salvation. Jesus, you saved me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I believe that you paid for my sins. And we walk in that, and then somewhere along the way, we pick up 
this thought that we have to manage the rest of it on our own. We pick up this idea that we have to somehow make God's promise come through. Or we doubt his goodness and faithfulness because we're in a situation of pressing, of pain, of sorrow, or of heartache. It's, it's not biblically faithful for me to look at Luke and see this and say, okay, the spirit works, and here's what happens. If you actually have the spirit, then you're going to just praise God with joy all of your life. Well, yes, the Spirit's work does produce joy in the believer. But Mary's, Luke is recounting this story, which Mary recounted at some point in her life, most likely after her son already bled and died on the cross. And this beauty of what Mary was called to do was not finished at this point in the story. But she's got a baby in her womb, the savior of the world, but she is a mother. She has yet to go through the pain of childbirth. She is yet to be in a situation where there's no room for her to have this baby, and so she has it in a stable. She's going through a situation where there's someone trying to kill my son, and I got to leave go to Egypt and I got to carry the guilt that there were others who didn't go with me because I couldn't say anything and there's a bunch of kids who died in Bethlehem because that wicked king wants to kill my son she has to go through her life trying to figure out how am I supposed to care and raise the son of God I don't know what I'm doing I don't know if any of you parents have that experience Like none of us have it figured out. We make mistakes all the time. And they, I mean, even think of like Joseph. I'm supposed to be the father, the role model to the son of God? How does that work? And then she's got to watch her son go and preach and do what he's supposed to do and then get betrayed flesh ripped open, nailed to a cross, naked and ashamed, carrying the burden of the sin and shame of the entire world on him. She's not dancing and she's in need of comfort. Jesus even says to John, please comfort your mother, my mother. In all of it, the Spirit of God works on his timing to produce what he needs in his people. And we can go on and, I don't know if I need to belabor the point, maybe you can read this later, but look at Zechariah's account. It's the exact same thing. God, 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 God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it. The fulfillment of the promise that he will be a blessing and a joy to them and to others, happens in verse uh, 64. The Spirit is working. So what does that tell me? 
God provides everything that we need to accomplish everything that he says he's going to accomplish through us. God does it in his timing. But we have no lack. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, you're blessed with... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And you say, well, what are those blessings he's blessed us with? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. We have everything that we need to deal with the uncomfortable family situation that you know you're walking into this Christmas. To deal with the ways you've wronged people. To deal with your own brokenness and pain. To keep you until he comes. To shape and mold you into what he knows is best for you. What he's promised for you. To take the sorrow and the pain of your life and to turn it into joy. He can do that. I gave a challenge a while ago. Pray that the Lord would allow you to bring one person to know him by the end of this year. For some, that's like an awesome, yeah, I want to see God do that. Some others, that becomes more shame and guilt how bad of a Christian I am. It's not his intention. Pray for it, but if the Lord doesn't will, what would be better? That I begin to trust that the Lord is actually good. That I begin to believe that he can come through and he is with me even though I feel alone. That he can heal my brokenness and the subsequent brokenness that I've shared with everyone else around me. That he can continue to expand his church. Right? Another way we could put this is all we have is all we need if all we have is him. That's where the hope of Christmas is. I am not lacking anything that God requires of me because I have everything that I need to do what he's asked me to do today. And the main thing he's asked me to do is to believe and trust him. To build into my relationship with him. Because I distance myself from him when I don't believe that he is good. I distance myself from him when I believe that he is just like all the other Christians I know who have been nothing but judgmental and he's just looking at me and condemning me all the time. I distance myself when I believe God's really not there. When the whole time he is who he says he is, Emmanuel, God with us. He knows. He feels it. 
He's experienced it. He's carried it. He intercedes for it right now. He even speaks on your behalf when you don't even know what to say. So if all this is true, I don't have real major action points for you. My desire is that you would just grow in your faith here. That in some small step, you would continue to believe that God is who he says he is. That he actually has a storehouse of heaven willing to be opened and poured out on you if you just go and receive from him. That his power will carry you through your pain, through your suffering. And he will do what he says in Romans 5. Suffering produces patience. Patience produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. He will actually do that in me. And I can actually rest on him and ask him and talk to him like Abba, Father, that he is. The daddy, daddy that I never had. The dad who sees me and looks upon me as, with compassion. The Lord, the Lord, God gracious and merciful, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, rich in faithfulness, but also just. He will take care of it. Our God is good. He's trustworthy. And his spirit has been given to us. And we have been placed in this time, in this moment, for a specific purpose for God's kingdom and his glory. May we all rest and listen and follow to his, his spirit in this season. And may he bring his healing and peace to our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. We thank you um, for your spirit. Lord, we don't have it all together. And when we try to work it out, we mess it up. Lord, may we be continually led by your spirit. May you work in a way that showcases your power and your glory and your might through us as individuals, through us as a people gathered together, through us as a church, for your kingdom and your glory and the good of those around us in this city. Trust you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.